I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We got a new president. Hey, hey, let's get loud. <laughs> yes, congratulations. That was you getting loud. Well, that was J-Lo <laughs> getting loud and dropping one of her own songs into America the Beautiful. Which, yeah. you know, I guess you got to do you. <laughs> that was pretty cool. She had to compete with uh, Gaga's bird. <laughs> Nothing in that entire inauguration was any competition for Gaga's bird. Oh, that thing was, was massive and ridiculous. It was amazing. When you started singing, though, I really thought you were going to sing, we got a new attitude. I wasn't prepared for we got a new president or whatever melody it was you sang. I have no idea. It came out of my butt because that's where most of my things come out. You sing really pretty from your butt. I do. That's I, called a MFA in acting. I wasn't I wasn't looking that closely. I just assumed that was coming out of your mouth. But you you fart really pretty. I do. That I'm a nice. lady. Yeah, I know. I know, but it uh, in all seriousness, though, it was a very good inauguration. Um, it went off without a hitch, and the concert that night was fucking banging. The like the inauguration was, was amazing because Kamala getting Kamala getting sworn in, I straight up cried, like straight up. Um, and all the women looked so freaking fierce at that inauguration. And Amanda Gorman, the poet, like killed it. Fuck yes, that woman is gonna run. For president, I call it right now. Um, but yeah, the concert that night was nuts. They had like, okay, so yes, the concert was great. Also, the musical performances at the inauguration were great. Yeah. I was shocked. Everybody during the inauguration sounded incredible. They sounded fucking fierce. Like um, everybody prepared and it actually worked out. And <laughs> like, I know that there is a pretty good chance that, that some of them were like, who were singing quotey fingers live were singing to tracks. I get that. Yeah. But like, if they were, if they weren't whatever, fine, you do you. If, but if they were singing tracks, they got tracks that sounded fucking great. Yeah. Just like everyone's voice sounded yeah. fantastic. Like John Legend. Yeah. Singing Feeling Good. And like, I love his voice, but like, he was. There was something about him that was extra, it. Yeah. extra hefty, like, extra Yeah, meaty. he had some gravity and um, Demi Lovato's and like, I mean, it was just, it was fucking great. It was fabulous. It, it's been, I've slept this week, which has been really strange because like. I knew I was stressed out by, especially since the Capitol attacks. Yeah. Um, I knew I was stressed out, but like, I didn't realize how much that was what was fucking up my sleep. Like I was not sleeping. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I could, I was waking up after like two hours of sleep and then not going back to sleep for like five, six hours. And for like, it sucked. And then like the night of the inauguration, I slept for like 11 hours. I don't, remember falling asleep <laughs> and I woke up at like 11 and was like what day is it yeah <laughs> yeah it was amazing so the world is in a better place now and that makes me happy yeah. so so um we are going to have to cruise through some of our usual chit chat time uh this is officially our six month anniversary yeah it is We've been recording this thing for a half a year. We haven't missed a week yet. Knock on something. Well, we haven't missed a week yet. Um, we can't. Yet. That, that's not going to um, change. So <laughs> huzzah! And uh, and so as a result, we have a lot to. Oh wait, 
Oh no, do you hear that? I think this is gonna slow us down. I hear- Oh, little... we gotta do this too, that's oh, right. Oh no. Oh, but it's so fun! Welcome to True, True Crimes and the Lie, the game show within a podcast where we try to figure out if we can tell the difference between fake news and real news. All right, I America, guess. can you? Let's um, find out. We're, we're going to figure out. <laughs> Hopefully we can. Uh, so this week uh, is a little bit of a special show. Um, for a lot of reasons. For, for a lot of reasons. Uh, we are celebrating six months of putting out this podcast. Six um, months this but week. But also, for the first time, we have uh, guests to play along with us. Yeah, it's we not do. just going to be Heather <laughs> trying to outsmart me. I've got Thank God. Uh, three <laughs> other people playing along. Uh, we've oh, got, you can hear them laughing. Hey. <laughs> uh, we've, we've got we've got the ladies from Wine, Dine, and Storytime podcast with us. Uh, could you introduce yourselves? Yeah. I'm Dana. I'm Nidia. And I'm Cindy. Yeah. And we're really excited to play your game. We've listened to a couple episodes, and uh, I think I'm going to be the best, and I'm shooting for a, a win here. <laughs> All right. I'm uh what am I two for two? I think two I think you're two for two for, three. two for four or three for know. five or something <laughs> like that. I'm not winning. I'm not winning the game. So. Heather's Heather's doing all right. Uh so for our regular listeners, uh you guys already know how this game works, but for people who maybe are new listeners for us, regular listeners to our guests and I suppose for our guests, um, we should explain the rules. Yeah, tell them what the hell to do. Um, basically, <laughs> the way this game works is I'm going to read a quick synopsis of three crimes. Two of them are actual, real, historical crimes, and one of them is the plot to a book or a movie or a video game or a short story or a dream I had once or, you know. <laughs> art. art. Some, some some sort of pop media thing, uh, and it's going to be your job to see if you can guess which one is fiction out of the two that are historical fact. All right, can't um, wait. There is also usually a theme that is true in this case as well, so... Um, one thing Heather has been very good at is guessing the theme and getting that right. So like we'll... I have a degree in theater. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, so so we'll see how that goes. And uh, listeners at home, please feel free to play along as well. Play along. Let us know how you do. All right, Dana, Nitty, and Cindy playing along. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> So I am going to read these stories in chronological order. Uh, when I've read all three, everyone will get a chance to say which one they think is the fictional crime before I reveal the, the, the final answer. And of course, spoiler alert for not only some cool true crime stories, but also potentially two other pop culture things that might be referenced in this game show. Uh, also, I'm going to avoid using uh, actual names we give them all aliases so that if a name pops up. He did Halloween a few episodes ago, and if he'd said Michael Myers, even I know that. Yeah. So. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is smart. Um, yeah. yeah. So so there's that. All right. So let's just jump into it, shall we? Let's play True Crimes and a Lie with <laughs> Wine, Dine, and Storytime. <laughs> Story number one. A man that we'll call Mr. L was arrested by uh, the police for a crime he claimed he did not commit. 
A major bank had been robbed and the vault had been emptied. The vault's security had been completely bypassed and Mr. L was suspected because he was the man who had just put in the new security system. To make things more suspicious, he had left town right around the time after the, the robbery. Now, Mr. L claimed this was a coincidence, but the police did not believe it. This, this is like Shawshank. He's like, it's all, it's all too convenient, all too convenient, but you're fucked. You're totally fucked. Uh, this is not the plot to Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mr. L tried to point the finger at another man, someone who we will call Mr. R, who was a bank employee and his friend who had come to inspect his work while he was in the vault. But again, law enforcement wasn't buying that. Then something really weird started happening. The money from the robbery started getting deposited back into banks in town in very large sums, including the bank that it was originally stolen from. What? And those deposits were being made by Mr. R's friend, who Mr. L had pointed the finger at. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not smooth. Not smooth <laughs> at all. an idiot. <laughs> were no. there no move. other banks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or move? Like, change locations, maybe? I don't know. When questioned... He confessed that he had convinced Mr. R, who was a disgruntled bank employee, to help him with the robbery. Because of his confession, and because he had technically already returned the money, he only ever served one day in prison. What? <laughs> Let's all go rob a bank. Oh, shit. That's <laughs> like buyer, that's, that's buyer's remorse right there. He's like, mm, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Slowly, like, put it back. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's that's story number one. Okay, all let right. That, let that rattle around in your brains for a bit. Okay. See what you think. Mr. L, Mr. R, and Mr. R's friends. Yeah. Okay. Um, story number two. This one happens in uh, post-war England. A group of former military officers who I'm going to call the team because it's easier than coming up with an alias for each member Perfect. of the team. Um, Can we call them the Inglorious Bastards? Yes. So the Inglorious <laughs> Bastards Fabulous. got together. And um, because they, they had discovered that they had essentially been put out to pasture after the war, like the army had let them go and they didn't have anything to do and they didn't have any skills that they could convert into like real world jobs. Now, what they probably should have done is followed the example of General Waverly from White Christmas and just opened up a hotel in Vermont. <laughs> that is what very specific instructions. Uh, but, that's hilarious because that's not a Christmas movie. But they didn't. Instead, they decided to rob a bank, figuring Duh. that the country owed them some money. That's right. They, they went out and got some supplies from a uh, military camp, uh, and some reports from, from these um, robberies for supplies reported that they, they used Irish accents, hoping to shift blame over to the IRA. Sneaky. This is smart. See, this is smart move. Even trained actors can't do a real Irish accent. Though. Like, you know, these fucking like soldiers are like, how about them lucky charms? And everyone's like, uh, no, no, no. Lucky charms a cereal in the 
40s and 50s? I don't know. How? I don't know. <laughs> How about them? My, uh, They're after me, Lucky Charms. The leprechauns. Yeah. It, this was not good. It was not good dialect work. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, anyway, in the end, the heist went off without a hitch, and the men made it out with enough money to make them all rich. The team met back at their headquarters, which was the home of one of the, uh, one of the officers, but their celebrations were interrupted in the evening by the arrival of the police. See, it turns out that one of the team members had left his car parked out in front of the bank and it had been casually noticed by someone passing by uh, during the heist. The police connected this random car. they, They did good police work. They connected this car to someone who was maybe in the area during the robbery and they tracked him down after confirming the owner of the car uh, and arrested the entire team. Wow. Well, so that far, I, th- I another- think I know the theme, but I think I know the theme, but the uh, other theme is stupid criminals. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to say. Another dumb, cr- like, dumb criminal. I think there's two themes. <laughs> dumb criminals. Good police work, though. Yeah. Bad criminals, good police work. Um, although not really good police work in that first one, I suppose. And also, I kind of feel for these. That's true. I kind of feel for these uh, uh, soldiers, though, because like, I, I mean, mean they, they did they kind of get screwed. It. Like that happens here, to, like vets and stuff. Like you know, you go fight for your country, and then they're like, "Bye." I mean, yeah, yeah. You absolutely so, deserve. I think you should be able to skim off the top if you almost died for the country, right? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a petition Perfect. and I hope that I can get, I hope that I can get the three of you to sign off on it. And this petition is going to be to pass new legislation that once you make it to a certain rank in the military, if you are let go, you get to rob banks. Yes. I, with impunity. Yeah. We with impunity. It. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 This yeah. can go along with the thing where. This is the other c- crime we have that we think. Yeah. Th- well, no, this, this can, this can go along with the thing that, um, there's, there's this theory that the older you get, the more crimes you should be allowed to get away with. Oh, like, absolutely. You, you hit, you hit 70 years old and you can no longer be charged with like jaywalking and stuff. Yes. You hit 75 and you're allowed to speed. You hit 80 and you're allowed to do one felony per year. You hit like 95. You hit 95 and you can straight up murder you can someone. Murder people and it's cool. And it's fine because really, if you get murdered by a 95 year old, you, you deserve it. had it coming. If they can and hold a knife up. I think collectively, uh, the three of us would support this legislature. Uh, great. We'll, ta- we'll, we'll call we'll call Biden and Kamala and see how they feel about it. They, there's a lot of executive orders this week, so maybe it'll get put in. That's like exactly it. right. <laughs> All right. So the final crime story. A man who we will call Officer S walked into a bank. It had just been robbed. Uh, Officer S had walked into several recently robbed banks over the last few years. He was a police officer. He knew exactly what had happened in this bank. Of course he did. He wasn't just the investigating officer. He was also the one robbing the banks. Oh, so. Yeah. Disillusioned by police brutality, at least that's what he claimed at his trial, Officer S had turned to a life of crime. He got away with 15 robberies before finally being caught and arrested because someone along the way finally recognized him. That's like uh, the Golden State Killer. Like he was he was a cop. 
Yeah, he yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was. Yeah. He and he got fired yeah. as for stealing. Yeah, for stealing, <laughs> but not for murder until he was like 80 and someone took a fucking 23 and me. Like, yep. <laughs> exactly right. Oh no shit, is that how he got busted? That is totally how he got busted. We'll, yep. we'll talk yeah. about it later. <laughs> I'll play, I'll play you some true crime episodes. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, oh, yeah. So he was caught. He was arrested. He was convicted. And he was sentenced to 75 years in prison. Shit. What? While there, Officer S made friends with two other inmates. While in uh, physical therapy, two of the three men overpowered their physician and a guard and escaped prison. And a few months later, they went back and broke out the third of their gang. Oh, shit. And they started robbing banks as a group. But eventually, things fell apart because a call girl that they hired recognized one of the members from a mugshot that police had posted and called law enforcement. Yeah, ladies. That's why. <laughs> um, so one of the three was caught and arrested. One of the three committed suicide rather than going back to prison. Yikes. And Officer S himself fled overseas but was tracked down by law enforcement. He was uh, caught while biking back to his headquarters and accidentally shot and killed in a struggle for a gun. Whoa. He bled to death on sight. Wow. Damn. <laughs> These are not easy cases. These are not easy. No, they're no. not. You you gave us some, and we do true crime, so you gave us some hard stuff to di- I, to think hey, about I, here. I came to play. I, I came told to play. Him, I was like, you better play this week because <laughs> I listen to true crime, but like he always stum- he stumps me a lot. All right, so now you can you can the four of you can talk amongst yourselves. What do we think what the thinking. theme is? Bank heist, bank bank robbery, yeah, bank yeah. robbery, and, right? and stupid cops. Or, and stupid criminals. <laughs> yes, right. like, they were actually criminals. good cop work, but there was always stupid criminals because <gasps> the cop got caught. So I kind of are, are we talking this out? Is that what we? Yeah, do? talk it out. Talk okay. it out. Well, I don't. I don't know any of them <laughs> as a as a true it. fact. The last one sounded started to sound familiar to me in the beginning, but the way it ended wasn't how like the forensic files I saw of it that I remember, so I'm not 100% sure on it now. I think I told a story that was the similar The first one too. reminded me of the story you told, yeah. A, a couple of them. I've done a couple bank heists before. She's and into robberies and theft and yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah. Cat burglary, cool. really. That's <laughs> well, my specialty. That's what I thought. When I heard the first one, I was like, oh, that's that one that, yeah. the first episode that I came on with you guys Yeah, the maple syrup one. Um, that story and then i was like hold up but that's not how it that's ended. not how it ended. ended that's all of the endings sort of so were difficult me for me completely all so what do yeah. you think oh um, i think the second one was a lie what's your guess i would i think that's probably a fair statement only because like the first story has one day in jail with which sounds about right see that, that sounds so far fetched <laughs> to me I don't, was he I don't white? see that. Well, well, then he spent one day in jail. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that the legal system works the way that we want it to work, and that wouldn't surprise me. But do you think criminals would be dumb enough to put the money back? Do you think that somebody would write a story where somebody does one day in jail? <laughs> <laughs> that is legit. That's my logic. I feel like number three is like a movie, is a movie script. Okay. 
That's well, how I, kept I feel. Thinking, I kept being like, are one of these going to be reservoir dogs? Is this reservoir dogs? Oh, I'm sorry. Is this <laughs> reservoir dogs? Where is the reservoir dogs? But, well, uh, and like but the second one reminds me of, other than their like their army vets, is it kind of sounds like uh, like an Ocean's Eleven. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. They all yeah, got together to and make those yeah. connections. Uh, so what do you think? I don't know. I usually go with the most gruesome one, but no one died in this one except for like at the end. So I think your logic is I sound. I, I feel comfortable going with two as the as the fake one what about I'm, you i'm gonna stay with three You're it with feels three? like a movie script okay right, so we've, we've got a two a two and a three and the professional well, just because i want to cover all our bases <laughs> i'm gonna go with one because <laughs> i literally have Somebody's no idea what this winner <laughs> all right so number one is the true story Fuck. Of the first <laughs> bank robbery in American history. Oh, shit. Oh. Really? It took place in Philadelphia in 1796. Patrick Lyon, the blacksmith, was the man who replaced the locks. And then he left town because yellow fever was sweeping through. Smart. Um, Isaac Davis was the friend of Mr. R, the bank employee. Isaac Davis convinced him to help him get past all of the new security, sneak in, and steal $162,821. What's that now? But, uh, I haven't done that math. I don't know. Okay, we'll look it up. And we'll a lot. Plug it in. million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> Probably least, a lot more than one, that. At least a million dollars. Hang on. He's going to do it. I'll go ahead and do it right He's now. He's going to do it. All right. This is, like, I love that you guys always do this, because, like, I'm always like, what is that now? It's important information. $162,000. Oh, you're not even giving me It's like, I don't, rates. I don't understand 1786. Um, you will, you will get the answer when I plug it in in post. <laughs> everyone, clo- everyone cover their mouths. It happens right now. Okay. <laughs> As promised, I did look it up in post. $162,821 in 1796 today comes to roughly $3,212,458.33. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's that story. And sure enough, because there weren't that many banks in town and he didn't feel comfortable just like keeping it in his mattress... He started depositing it back, that and when huge so sums dumb. of money started getting returned right back to the bank he stole it from, yeah. One day in fucking jail. That's so funny. Meanwhile, Patrick Lyons spent months in jail because the police didn't believe he had nothing to do with it. And it took them while well, they tried to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> that being okay. said, that's kind of like what Nydia said when she says, aren't there any more banks out here? Well, that would explain it, being that it was that there far are. back. There was only the one bank. There yeah. was probably yeah. the only yeah. one bank. <laughs> There's probably three banks. Yeah. Um, story number two is the plot to the 1960 film The League of Gentlemen. Shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> totally seen that movie like when I was a kid with my dad because he loves some old movies. I have seen that. Oh, man. I saw the and updated no one, excuse. but years I ago. Lose. The League but of Gentlemen. 1960. So I knew it was a movie somewhere. It just wasn't the right one. The League of Gentlemen. Now, number three is the true story of Officer Stander, a police officer in South Africa. That's where we're trending. 
Is that um, why you did this? No, it's not. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, so, turns out he never wanted to be a cop. But his dad was, like, huge in law enforcement. He felt pressure from his family to go into law enforcement. And um, his uh, unit or, or whatever was uh, took part in the, the thing that made him really stop believing in police work. Uh, they were ordered to shoot and kill during a riot of black South Africans. And he claimed that that completely disheartened him and disillusioned him to the whole police force. And that's why he turned to a life of crime. Fuck I love yeah, it, dude. Um, <laughs> we he, support so that. I support him. When yeah. he started robbing banks, his method was he put on a wig and a fake mustache, walked in, <laughs> walked up to the teller, handed them a bag, pulled out a gun and said, fill it. Wow. That was it. That's the movie. That is what they do in like cartoons. That was his whole move. <laughs> um, Sounds he, effective. So when he when he fled the country, he maybe unsurprisingly um, escaped to Florida, <laughs> which is Why? Where, where he well because it's far from South Africa. Not Florida. Um, <laughs> but so that's so that's where he ended up being uh, shot accidentally by police in a struggle in, in a struggle for the officer's shotgun um, wow. and uh he he bled out and died before emergency response could get there that's not surprising um, actually it's florida <laughs> you get shot in florida for looking the wrong way that's florida crazy. man <laughs> all right wow this was so much fun I'll i won that. where's my prize i won too you won uh, yeah, can, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> um, you, I guess you, your your names your names will go on our winners wall. There we go. Um, okay. Which cool. is not a thing that we have yet, but we'll start with that. Oh yeah, we should put it on the website. We'll add it to the website. We'll, we'll add a winners wall. Yeah. yeah. Currently, like it would only be that. your name at this point, so it would be nice to have an addition with having yeah, us. Yeah, I would <laughs> like lost more than I've won. So this I is would good. like a brick on the winners wall dedicated. to to me and we are building Sweet. this wall together okay all right we'll build that wall Great. but we won't make mexico wait, pay for it though wait, no I'm we sorry. definitely won't we will build the wall we'll build uh, it around mar-a-lago <laughs> around mar-a-lago and keep them in. yeah i like that i like I, I i want mexico to pay for that wall i think yeah, they would. i think they would pay for that wall honestly. they would absolutely pay for that one they might well, so, it's small enough. I'll bet we could get a couple of individuals to volunteer and just be like, no, fuck it. We're balling them in. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm, yeah, unemployed. So. I'm unemployed right now. I'm like, fuck it. I'll go down there. <laughs> Bring Let's your gloves it. and a hard hat. Go. It'll be fun. <laughs> uh, so before we go, uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast. So we have that to like, if you guys want to give us a little bit of action on yours. Sure. So we're... Uh, Cindy is our newest addition. She cooks for us each week, uh, themed usually about the podcast. And Nydia and I will tell a story about, you know, whatever we find interesting or funny. Sometimes we have guests, but we really haven't had any since COVID. But I think we're working on getting some new ones coming here shortly. And uh, so the way that I like to explain it is as if Oprah was on the cooking channel and teamed up with Dateline and had this like podcast baby but on the Food Network. Okay. So, so we eat, tell true crimes, 
sometimes have a guest tell true stories that, you know, crazy shit that's happened to them. Like, yes. you know, giving up for adoption by mistake or, you know, crazy survival stories or things like that. And um, we also dabble in mysteries unsolved and all kinds of shit like that. Awesome. Well, we... Uh we both want the pumpkin cheesecake recipe from last oh, week. It's, like, it was delicious. Yes. Sweet potato cheesecake <laughs> sounds sweet potato. awesome. Sweet potato cheesecake. It was great. It, it was, was really delicious. great. Yes. Yeah, that, that cheesecake was uh, pretty good. I've been getting really good at making cheesecake. I was always uh, very intimidated by them. And since the podcast, I, I mean... I started, I came on board making a cheesecake. Yes, it was she did. Uh, a maple bacon cheesecake. We're and, not we're not mad at oh, it, yeah. Yeah. It was delicious and it was also our heist episode. <laughs> so it kind of goes with the theme for this whole episode. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. put it this way. I added bacon grease to the crust. It was delicious. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It was yeah, it was I like the it sound was of awesome. That. <laughs> I want to eat that. You you have you have given me much to think about. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. for reaching out, and we're so excited. You're our first guest. We wanted to do it, but, like, yeah, during COVID, it's fucking hard. It's so. a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, and we're really enjoying your podcast. So, oh, thank uh, you so thanks. much. So everyone listening, whether you're our listeners or their listeners, go listen. Yeah. <laughs> this has been True, True Crimes, Crimes and the Lie. <laughs> That was delightful. Oh, that was so much fun. <laughs> that was so much fun. Those those ladies are badass, and I really enjoy their podcast. Yeah. And I also very much enjoy them yeah. and their girl power spirit. It yeah, makes yeah, me yeah, very yeah. happy. So go check them out. Go follow them on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. They're on Podbean as well. Like that's their host like us. So go give them a follow and buy them a coffee or something uh, on their website. And you can do that for us too if you're feeling like it. Because they bought us a coffee, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they bought, they sent us a coffee and so did uh, Kevin from Jury Room yeah. Podcast. He sent us like five cups of coffee. Which is why I'm feeling so wired today. I feel so good, y'all. <laughs> I slept and I have had so much coffee. So thank and now we're having wine. So it's like this is a legit quarantine day. Yep. Coffee to wine. Coffee Woo. and wine. Good day all around. Yeah. But since that took some time, we should probably just jump right into the story. Should we do it? Yeah. Let's uh get some fun facts. Yeah. All Start right. with that. I like that plan. We are going to have a new author today. All right. This is the life tales and fun facts of Edith Wharton. Okay. Um, Edith Wharton. Um, I got all these facts from Horror Delve, Wikipedia, and the Edith Wharton Society page. Great. And she's a prostitute, too. No, you, she's you got them not. From, you got them from Horror Delve? Horror. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> She's going to haunt your ass tonight. Um, so Edith Wharton, fascinating. We are recording this on Sunday, the 24th. Yeah. Which is her effing birthday. Oh, holy shit. I did not pick it because of that. So she was born January 24th, 1862. All right. So happy 100 and birthday, Edith. <laughs> I was like, is he going to do the math? 30, 139. Cool. No, Yay. no, no, that's not right. 100 and 
159. 159. Boom. All right. Happy birthday, girl. So she was born Edith Newbold Jones um, to George Frederick Jones and Lucretia Rylander. <laughs> like, Lucretia. That's a rough name, man. That's um, a great name. They Lucretia. Were, uh, yeah. Uh, she was born there Brownstone at 14 West 23rd Street, New York City. So she's a New York City girl. Um, she was very upper class. Okay. Um, and like known as the aristocracy. And she portrays this a lot in her books because this was during a very tumultuous time. She was born during the Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> um, so her dad, the Joneses, is very wealthy and socially prominent and they are keeping up with the Joneses. His family is where that saying comes from. Really? Yes. Keeping Shit. up with the Joneses. So really high society, um, uh, New York, like aristocracy. And that's his, so her paternal, like they her, are, her paternal side is. Sh- she is those Joneses. She is those Joneses. Huh. She changed her name. I wonder why. Hard to be taken seriously <laughs> as an artist when everyone knows you as, oh, that oh, rich bitch. Oh, that woman. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No, she, she, you will find out she was very much about getting away from that. So her parents spent a lot of time in her childhood in Europe, living in Europe to avoid um, the economic issues that were happening in the States. Um, they basically just wanted to get out of there. And they also wanted their kids to, they had two other kids, um, to have culture in their lives so um from 1866 to 1872 so she was only four when they met when they moved there they went to and lived in france italy germany and spain sweet over four years i don't know if they spent a year in each one or like what they did during the travels edith became fluent in french german and italian so now she speaks English. She's fluent in four languages. Okay. So actually, in a lot of ways, her childhood was very similar to yours in that she spent <laughs> a lot of time in Europe. I just didn't learn up. any languages. But you did learn the native language of the European country you were staying in. England? England, yeah. <laughs> so I say weird things like the boot of my car and well, I love bubble and squeak. <laughs> yeah. Which I do, y'all. Um she started writing uh, stories and poetry at an early age. And um, when she was four or five, her parents told a story, and this is very much like me, um, where she played making up. And she would pick up a big book, like a pretty book that she liked, and she would stand in front of her family and wouldn't read the book. She would make up a story on the spot <laughs> with an open book, turning the pages as if she was reading the book and improvising the story. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? I, I mean, that's that. what I did, but with like theater like yeah. and music and stuff. I actually did something similar too. Um, I have vague memories of this that, uh, you know, my my mom and dad would read me, um, you know, kids books, Clifford the Big Red Dog, whatever, oh, yeah. like the simple ones, the sort of Curious cardboard George books. And, yeah. um, and when I was old enough to really get the information and like I, I had internalized the story and mm-hmm. knew all of the words, but too young still to be able to read, I would pick up the book and recite the story that was in the book and get it right. Oh, that's fun. But I couldn't you can read memorize, it. You memorized I had just, it. I had memorized it. And yeah. like I knew where the pages turned. So yep. it was. So they're like, 
our kid's a fucking genius. And no, then like, he's oh, just a mimic. He's just going to be an actor. No. <laughs> so her parents were like, this was her fun thing. And at age 15, she published her first work, um, which was a translation of a German poem. Um, so she, I guess she didn't write it. She just translated it. I'm guessing it was an adaption. Um, and she was paid 50 bucks for that. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so it was published. It was just a translation. That was her first thing. Now, her parents did not want her to be a famous writer and did not want their name in print because it was not considered proper for a woman at this time to have her name in print. I mean, it's kind of like Little Women, if you've yeah. seen. Um, so they published the poem under the name of her father's friend, E.A. Washburn, who was a cousin of Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> And Emerson supported women's education. So he was like, yeah, like the family was like, yeah, do it. It's fine. She also secretly wrote that year a 30,000 word novella called Fast and Loose. Oh, shit. Which eventually was published. Fast and Loose. loose. (laughs) I have not read it. I will only make assumptions. She continued to publish poetry under false names or anonymously um, for a long time. But then in 1878, they'd moved back to the States and she decided... To do her duty to her family and come out as a debutante and have her, like, coming out season. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on her love interest, so I'm going to give you a real brief because she's way too cool. Sure. So she took time to be a debutante. She was with a guy. The parents didn't like him. He was kind of sketchy. So they got engaged but then broke it off before they got married. Um, and then she got married to another guy in 1885 and was married to him for quite some time till 1913, but he had severe like mental health issues. Okay. So he basically became a recluse, like, and like did not leave the house and eventually had to be like hospitalized. So, um, a year before he was like, before they got divorced, she started having an affair with someone who was like a writer in New York. Rout, rout. Um, but the, he didn't know because he wasn't super. Sound he wasn't of mind. leaving the bedroom. Um, and they got divorced, and then she never remarried, and she also didn't stay with the fair guys. So she was like, bye, bye, bye. She's a badass. Bye. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to jump over all that because she did way cool stuff. So, um, after her divorce, she decided to go back to Europe. Of course, this was right as World War One was breaking out. So she decided to still go. Um, she went to Paris uh, and moved into an apartment. And she spent four years there purely helping the war effort for France. One of the first causes she undertook was in August 1914. Um, and she opened a workroom for unemployed women um, where people were fed and paid one franc a day. Um, it began as 30 women and turned to 60 then when the Germans invaded Belgium in the fall of 1914 and Paris was flooded with refugees, she helped set up American hostels for refugees and managed to get them shelter, meals, clothes, and eventually created an employment agency to help them find work. Awesome. She collected more than $100,000 on their behalf. So that's a lot of money. That's a, over... A buttload of money. buttload of money back yeah. then. In 1915, she organized the Children of Flanders Rescue Committee, which gave shelter to nearly 900 Belgian refugees who had fled their homes. She also had connections with the French government because of all her work. So she was one of the few foreigners in France allowed to travel to the front lines in World War I. So she actually, like, they drove to, like, the front 
And she described in a series of articles um, that were first published in Scribers magazine that she was traveling in a car and she said, quote, we woke to a noise of guns closer and more incessant. And when we went out into the streets, it seemed as if overnight a new army had sprung up out of the ground. So she was like up in there. She was in it. Throughout the war, she was like tirelessly doing charitable efforts for all the refugees, the injured, the unemployed, the women, displaced. And in 1916, she was awarded the title of Chevalier in the French region, which is the highest honor you can receive in France. What a badass. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, such a fucking badass. So then she decided, well, I like writing. I'm going to start doing this more myself. Now, she had <laughs> already published some stuff. Um, but that was not her focus. She was really focused on the war effort. Um, despite not publishing her first novel until she was 40, Wharton became extor- an extraordinarily productive writer. In addition to 15 novels, seven novellas, and 85 short stories, she published poetry, books on design, travel, literary and cultural criticism, and a memoir. The Age of Innocence, which came out in 1920, won the 1921 Pulitzer Prize for Literature. She was the first woman to ever win the award. Hell yeah. Right? And actually, it was made into a movie directed by Martin Scorsese in 1993, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Winona Ryder, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Huh. So we're going to be watching that. Yeah, going to need to track that down. (laughs) Um, She was also honored on U.S. postage stamps um, September 5th, 1980. Um, and she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1996. I feel like I am a bad literature fan, a bad feminist, and frankly a bad American for not having any idea who this person is. I feel the same, and that's why I'm pretty (laughs) fucking excited that I, like... That this came up and I started doing research and I'm like, holy crap, this woman's like kick the fuck ass. And anyway, she has a very fun life. So I'm sure we'll read more of her because there are so much more that I couldn't couldn't go into. But today um, you will be reading Miss Mary Pask. All right. First published in the Pictorial Review, April 1925. So it actually just came into public domain. Oh, cool. It was it's, it's 1925 one of the... was when it was first published. So awesome. It is also one of those. And this was suggested to us by um, Carrie Laban from Thinking Horror and Naomi Black from Classic Literature, our two, the, two of the Facebook groups we follow. All right. So we had two suggestions from two different groups. Very cool. Well, uh, thank you, Carrie and Naomi. Yeah. Badass. We're excited. Thank Rock you for on. leading us to this woman. All right, uh, shall we start this fire? Let's start the fire. Miss Mary Pask by Edith Wharton. It was not till the following spring that I plucked up courage to tell Miss Bridgeworth what had happened to me that night at Morgoth. The following spring? Following what? After it happened. She just said that. <laughs> no, it was not till the following spring just makes me think like, oh, we're it, picking up in the middle of a thought. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of. It's like, I'm going to testify what happened to me. Yep. 
and it happened last spring, so I'm gonna, it took a year for me to get the courage to tell the story. It was not till the following spring that I plucked up the courage to tell Mrs. Bridgeworth what had happened to me that night at Morgoth. In the first place, Mrs. Bridgeworth was an American, and after the night in question, I lingered on abroad for several months. Not for pleasure, God knows, but because of a nervous collapse supposed to be the result of having taken up my work again too soon after my touch of fever in Egypt. But in any case, if I had been door to door with Grace Bridgeworth, I could not have spoken of the affair before, to her or to anyone else. Not till I had been rest-cured and built up again at one of those wonderful Swiss sanatoria where they clean the cobwebs out of you. <laughs> um, that is the nicest term for uh, mental hospital slash treatment center I have ever heard in my life. I like the idea of a Swiss sanatoria. It's very pleasant sounding, and I imagine that they nurse you to health with hot chocolate. I know. I was going to say chocolate. <laughs> Just chocolate all day. I could not even have written to her, not to save my life. The happenings of that night had been overlaid with layer upon layer of time and forgetfulness before I could tolerate any return to them. So I think we went over the main fact of she was in a freaking mental institution because of what it happened. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, shit. All right, because I'm Because of what happened that night at Morgoth. Sounds like it fucked her up good, so... The beginning was idiotically simple. Just the sudden reflex of a New England conscience acting on an enfeebled constitution. I had been painting in Brittany uh, in lovely but uncertain autumn weather... One day, all blue and silver, the next shrieking gales or driving fog. England. Fucking England. <laughs> there is a rough little whitewash. Ah, uh, it's not England, actually. It's Brittany is in France. Oh, yes, that's it's true. <laughs> part of France, right across the English Channel. Fucking France. Fucking France. <laughs> There's a rough We love little you, France and England. <laughs> There is a rough little whitewashed inn out at the Pointe de Raz, swarmed over by tourists in summer, but a sea-washed solitude in autumn. And there I was staying and trying to do waves when someone said, You ought to go over to Cape something else, beyond Morgat. I went and had a silver and blue day there. And on the way back, the name of Morgoth set up an unexpected association of ideas. Morgoth, Grace Bridgeworth, Grace's sister, Mary Pask. You know, my darling Mary has a little place now near Morgoth. If you ever go to Brittany, do go to see her. She lives such a lonely life. It makes me so unhappy. Uh-oh. That was the way it came about. I had known Mrs. Bridgeworth well for years, but had only a hazy, intermittent acquaintance with Mary Pask, her older and unmarried sister. Well, you know it's trouble. She's not married. She's, un she's an old spinster in France. <laughs> old that woman maid. having a good time. <laughs> 
Grace and she were greatly attached to each other, I knew. It had been Grace's chief sorrow when she married my old friend Horace Bridgeworth and went to live in New York that Mary, from whom she had never before been separated, obstinately lingered in Europe, where the two sisters had been traveling since their mother's death. I never quite understood why Mary Pask refused to join Grace in America. Grace said it was because she was too artistic. (laughs) But knowing the elder Mary Pask and the extremely elementary nature of her interest in art, I wondered whether it were not rather because she disliked Horace Bridgeworth. I'm going to guess, yeah. (laughs) There was a third alternative more conceivable if one knew Horace, and that was that she may have liked him too much. That was actually what I was thinking when she didn't like him because yep. they he was flirty with her and then he married her sister. But <laughs> that again became untenable, at least I supposed it did, when one knew Miss Pask. <laughs> Oh, is she Miss Pask with her round, flushed face, her innocent, bulging eyes, her old maidish flat decorated with art tidies, and her <laughs> vague and timid philanthropy. Aspire to Horace. <laughs> well, it was all rather puzzling, or would have been if it had been interesting enough to be worth puzzling over. <laughs> Wow, this woman has opinions. Got feelings about things. <laughs> now, to be fair, whatever happened to her fucked her up, and she's allowed to have opinions she's about that. She's allowed to that. have opinions. Well, it was all rather puzzling, or would have been, if it had been interesting enough to be worth puzzling over, but it was not. Mary Pask was like hundreds of other dowdy old maids, cheerful derelicts content with their innumerable little substitutes for living. Even Grace would not have interested me particularly if she hadn't happened to marry one of my oldest friends and to be kind to his friends. Oh, damn. This woman's about to get a rude awakening of the real world. (laughs) She She did say that she wrote about these hoity-toity stuck-up people and she knew all the rich bitches so she might as well write about the rich bitches and realizing the world was not always as Uh, it seems (laughs) so we're talking about grace she was a handsome capable and rather dull woman absorbed with her husband and children and without an ounce of imagination and between her attachment to her sister and mary pask's worship of her there lay an inevitable gulf between the feelings of sentimentality unemployed and those whose affections are satisfied wow but A close intimacy had linked the two sisters before Grace's marriage, and Grace was one of the sweet, conscientious women who go on using the language of devotion about people whom they live happily without seeing. So that when she said, you know, it's years since Mary and I have been together, not since little Molly was born, if only she'd come to America, just think... Molly is six and has never seen her darling auntie. When she said this and added, If you go to Brittany, promise me you'll look up my Mary. 
I was moved in that dim depth of one where unnecessary obligations are contracted. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> so she got guilted into looking up her friend's sister. We have all been there. It's like, if you go here, make sure you check this out. It's my favorite spot. And you go and it's like a restaurant and it's the most disgusting place you've ever eaten. But you can't tell your friend that. <laughs> and so it came about. On that silver and blue afternoon, the idea Morgot, Mary Pask, to please Grace, suddenly unlocked the sense of duty in me. Very well, I would chuck a few things into my bag, do my day's painting, go to see Miss Pask when the light faded, and spend the night at an inn in Morgot. To this end, I ordered a rickety one-horse vehicle to await me at the inn when I got back from my painting, and in it, I started out towards sunset to hunt for Mary Pask. As suddenly as a pair of hands clapped over one's eyes, the sea fog shut down on us. A minute before, we had been driving over a wide, bare upland, our backs turned to a sunset that crimsoned the road ahead. Now the densest night enveloped us. No one had been able to tell me exactly where Miss Pask lived, but I thought it likely that I should find out at the Fisher's Hamlet toward which we were trying to make our way, and I was right. An old man in a doorway said yes over the next rise, and then down the lane to the left that led to the sea, the American lady who always used to dress in white. Oh, he knew, near the Bay de Trepassé. Do we have another cottage by the sea? Like uh, creepy woman by herself. <laughs> well, possibly. Because in the in the vampire one. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's a bay, not by the sea. Well, it's by the water. <laughs> a, co- a, a water view ca- cottage um, with a mysterious woman. And it is already firmly established as an unsettling story. As this is not going to turn out well, so I'm going to get myself a cottage by the sea and just creep people out. <laughs> I want to be on like house hunters waterfront property or something and like get me a waterfront cottage just to scare people. Never mind being a cat lady. You're going to become a ghost lady. Fuck yeah. I'm already am a ghost lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to like bring ghosts and like I'm going to buy all the haunted objects that I can and just like live by the sea and open an Airbnb that people write about for decades. Instead of accidentally becoming like the creepy old lady who lives in the spooky house purpose. on the corner, gonna do it on purpose. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Intentionally cultivate it. It'd be like if um if uh in Sandlot, if uh, James Earl Jones was like, no fuck it, I'm gonna terrify these kids. I'm gonna buy the biggest, meanest, scariest looking dog. Oh my god, the Sandlot. I'm gonna do the it on beast. purpose. Forever. <laughs> yes, but how can we see it to find it? I don't know the place, grumbled the reluctant boy who was driving me. Shut up and do your job. <laughs> Pretty much. You will when you get there, I remarked. <laughs> <laughs> Peasant boy, drive me where I tell you to. <laughs> yes, and the horse foundered in the meantime. I can't risk it, sir. I'll get into trouble with the patron. Oh, I've assumed that the narrator was a woman. Is it a man? I think it might be a man. Oh, even weirder. 
I've, but because yeah. because the author is a woman and because the title of the book yeah. was Miss Mary Pask, I just assumed that the narrator was a woman. Oh, I have been envisioning a woman too. Um, and all the painting and stuff. Well, that, that I mean, well, men can be painters, but like yeah. that was very much a thing of the time for women of upper yeah. class to like go to Europe and paint. Like that's also in Little Women. Um, Amy, the youngest one, goes and like lives in France and just paints. <laughs> Yes, and the horse foundered meantime. I can't risk it, sir. I'll get into trouble with the patron. Finally, an opportune argument induced him to get out and lead the stumbling horse, and we continued on our way. We seemed to crawl on for a long time through a wet blackness, impenetrable to the glimmer of our only lamp. Dude, I would be like, I'll come back tomorrow. This is not... <laughs> it's not- like, it's not that important. This is asking for it. <laughs> she and her sister both kind of bore me. What am I doing? Well, and it like now it's creepy and you don't know this person and you're going to show at their house like in the middle of the, the darkness yeah. in a fog. That's creepy. And they don't know you're coming. That's creepy. Like Now you're creepy. <laughs> but now and then the ball lifted or its folds divided And then our feeble light would drag out of the night some perfectly commonplace object, a white gate, a cow's staring face, a heap of roadside stones, made portentous and incredible by being thus detached from its setting, capriciously thrust at us, and as suddenly withdrawn. After each of these projections, the darkness grew three times as thick, and the sense I had had for some time of descending a gradual slope now became that of scrambling down a precipice. I jumped out hurriedly and joined my young driver at the horse's head. "'I can't go on. I won't, sir,' he whimpered. (laughs) "'Why, see, there's a light over there, just ahead.' The veil swayed aside, and we beheld two faintly illuminated squares in a low mass that was surely the front of a house. Get me as far as that, then you can go back if you like. The veil dropped again, but the boy had seen the lights and took heart. Certainly there was a house ahead of us. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. There's a light. Sorry, this is very Rocky Horror. Mm. Like, it's wet and cold and dark. (laughs) I'm going to go to that house. Certainly there was a house ahead of us, and certainly it must be Miss Pasks, since there could hardly be two in such a desert. Besides, the old man in the hamlet had said, near the sea, and those (laughs) endless modulations of the ocean's voice so familiar in every corner of the Breton land that one gets to measure distances by them rather than by visual means, had told me for some time past that we must be making for the shore. The boy continued to lead the horse on without making any answer. 
The fog had shut in more closely than ever, and our lamp merely showed us the big round drops of wet on the horse's shaggy quarters. The boy stopped with a jerk. There's no house. I just jumped. when you... We're going straight down to the sea. But you saw the lights, didn't you? I thought I did, but where are they now? The fog's thinner again. Look, I can make out trees ahead, but there are no lights anymore. Perhaps the people have gone to bed, I suggested. Jocosely? Jocosely. Oh, <laughs> that's the one to look up. Adjective. Given to or characterized by joking, jesting, or humorous and playful. Ah, okay. His typical lively and jocose So manner. jocosely or jocularly. Jocularly. Perhaps the people have gone to bed, I suggested jocosely. Then hadn't we better turn back, sir? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, you don't show up at someone's fucking house once they're sleeping. Well, I mean, this I, I don't know when the story is set, but predates phones. Well, yeah, but you like. You can't call ahead. Maybe go when the sun comes up, not when the sun's going down. This person is not okay. <laughs> Like it's God. also sort of bad planning, especially if it's if if our narrator, especially since our narrator is a guy, for a single man to be arriving at the home of a single, single woman, woman in the middle after sunset. Of, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a different kind of play. <laughs> then hadn't we better turn back, sir? What? Two yards from the gate? <laughs> the boy was silent. This person's so pompous and. Certainly there was a gate ahead, and presumably behind the dripping trees some sort of dwelling. Unless there was just a field and the sea, the sea whose hungry voice I heard asking and asking close below us. No wonder the place was called the Bay of the Dead. Oh, <laughs> yeah, go turn around. Go get it. Go get a room at that that like hamlet you stopped yep, the in. The little fishing village. And head out in the morning. But what could have induced the rosy, benevolent Mary Pask to come and bury herself there? Of course, the boy wouldn't wait for me. I knew that. The Bay de Trapasse, indeed. The sea whined down there as if it were feeding time. And the Furies, its keepers, had forgotten it. There was a gate. My hand had struck against it. I felt along the latch, undid it, and brushed between wet bushes to the house front. Not a candle glint anywhere. If the house were indeed Miss Pasks, she certainly kept early hours. Night and fog were now one and the darkness as thick as a blanket. I felt vainly about for a bell. At last my hand came in contact with a knocker, and I lifted it. <laughs> I love when you feel around in the dark and your hand comes in contact with a knocker. <laughs> yeah, although I don't usually lift at that point. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's like boing. <laughs> maybe, maybe some squeezing, maybe, maybe some honka-honka-ing. But 
mean, but lifting is not what I go to. I mean, maybe you're it's relieving not, their back, like their back issues. When I grope around in the dark and feel a knocker, I'll just lift in the future. In the wet fog. <laughs> Gross. The clatter, which fell, sent a prolonged echo through the silence. But for a minute or two, nothing else happened. There's no one there, I tell you, the boy called impatiently from the gate. But there was. I had heard no steps inside, but presently the bolt shot back and an old woman in a peasant's cap pushed her head out. She set her candle down on the table behind her so that her face, areoled with lacy wings, was in obscurity. -uh. No fucking... Are you serious? A-U-R... E O L E D. Oriole, not areoled. No, Oriolid. Oriolid. Which is a radiant light around the head or body of a representation of a sacred personage. So it is, it's like a halo. Like a halo, yeah. <laughs> I like areolid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets Which the same image. Which is also image. a circular image. It's, yeah. it, it radiates from the center of the knocker. <laughs> That is fair. We got we we put you in that headspace with all the talk of knockers. So she had set her candle down on a table behind her so that her face, aureoled with lacy wings, was in obscurity. But I knew she was old by the stoop of her shoulders and her fumbling movements. The candlelight, which made her invisible, fell upon my face, and she looked at me. Uh, this is Miss Mary Pask's house. "'Yes, sir,' her voice, a very old voice, was pleasant enough, unsurprised, and even friendly. "'I'll tell her,' she added, shuffling off. Uh, "'Do you think she'll see me?' I threw after her. "'Oh, why not? <laughs> the idea!' she almost <laughs> chuckled. As she retreated, I saw that she was wrapped in a shawl and had a cotton umbrella under her arm." Obviously, she was going out, perhaps going home for the night. I wondered if Mary Pask lived all alone in her hermitage. The old woman disappeared with the candle, and I was left in total darkness. After an interval, I heard a door shut at the back of the house, and then a slow clumping of aged sabots along the flags outside. The old woman had evidently picked up her sabots in the kitchen and left the house. What's a sabot? I assume a type of boot. Sabots. I think it's French. Oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it's like a clog. A kind of simple shoe shaped and hollowed out from a single block of wood, traditionally worn by French and Breton peasants. Well, there you go. And if it's French, it's probably actually pronounced sabot. Yeah. So, um, and then a slow clumping of aged sabots along the flags outside. The old woman had evidently picked up her sabots in the kitchen and left the house. She's like, bye. I wondered if she had told Miss Pask of my presence before going or whether she had just left me there, the butt of some grim practical joke of her own. Certainly there was no sound within doors. The footsteps died out. I heard a gate click. 
Then complete silence closed in again. That woman just like got the fired. the fog. That woman got fired. I wonder, I began within myself, and at that moment a smothered memory struggled abruptly to the surface of my languid mind. But she's dead. Mary Pask is dead. I almost screamed it aloud in my amazement. It was incredible, the tricks my memory had played on me since my fever. I had known for nearly a year that Mary Pask was dead, had died suddenly the previous autumn, and though I had been thinking of her almost continuously for the last two or three days, it was only now that the forgotten fact of her death suddenly burst up again to consciousness. Dead! But hadn't I found Grace Bridgeworth in tears and crepe the very day I had gone to bid her goodbye before sailing for Egypt? Hadn't she laid the cable before my eyes, her own streaming with tears while I read, Sister died suddenly this morning, requested burial in garden of house particulars by letter, with the signature of the American consul at Brest. A friend of Bridgeworth's, I seemed to recall. I could see the very words of the message printed on the darkness before me. As I stood there, I was a good deal more disturbed by the discovery of the gap in my memory than by the fact of being alone in a pitch-dark house, either empty or else inhabited by strangers. Once before of late, I had noted this queer temporary blotting out of some well-known fact, and here was a second instance of it. Decidedly, I wasn't as well over my illness as the doctors had told me. Well, I would get back to Morgoth and lie up there for a day or two doing nothing, just eating and sleeping. <laughs> In my self-absorption, I had lost my bearings and no longer remembered where the door was. I felt in every pocket in turn for a match, but since the doctors had made me give up smoking, why should I have found one? That sucks. There you go. Everyone keeps smoking, <laughs> so you always have a lighter or a match on you in case you show up at a deserted haunted house yeah i, I will say smokers <laughs> tend to do okay in horror movies they always have matches yep. you can also use it to um if you're you can you can smoke your cigarette and flick it into the pool of gasoline that yeah. the monster or the murderer or whatever yeah. has happened to walk into that's that's a good way to um either kill them or at least distract them long enough for you to escape that's true I mean, I, I always have a lighter and I don't smoke. Yeah. So Remember, kids, smoke. <laughs> and that's why our show is not appropriate for children. <laughs> also, we say fuck. <clears throat> the failure to find a match increased my sense of irritated helplessness. And I was groping clumsily about the hall among the angles of unseen furniture when a light slanted along the rough cast wall of the stairs. I followed its direction, and on the landing above me I saw a figure in white shading a candle with one hand and looking down. A chill ran along my spine, for the figure bore a strange resemblance to that of Mary Pask as I used to know her. 
Oh, it's you, she exclaimed in the cracked, twittering voice, which was at one moment like an old woman's quaver, at another like a boy's falsetto. She came shuffling down in her baggy white garments with her usual clumsy, swaying movements, but I noticed that her steps on the wooden stairs were soundless. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> well, they would be, naturally. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm assuming she's friendly, at least. Casper the friendly ghost. I hope so. I don't know. I don't know. She might also have some grudges. I stood without a word, gazing up at the strange vision above me and saying to myself, there's nothing there, nothing, whatever. It's your digestion or your eyes or some damn thing wrong with you somewhere. Okay, Charles Dickens. (laughs) It's an undigested piece of meat. But there was the candle, at any rate. And as it drew nearer and lit up the place about me, I turned and caught hold of the door latch, for remember I had seen the cable and Grace in crape. Why, what's the matter with you? I assure you, you don't disturb me, the white figure twittered, adding with a faint laugh, I don't have so many visitors nowadays. Oh my god. She had reached the hall and stood before me, lifting her candle shakily and peering up into my face. You haven't changed, not as much as I should have thought, but I have, haven't I? She appealed to me with another laugh, and abruptly she laid her hand on my arm. I looked down at the hand and thought to myself, That can't deceive me. Oh, God. (laughs) Did the little boy leave? That boy left. Oh, yeah. That boy out of there. The driver pieced out. The second the, like, housekeeper showed up. Yeah, he gone. Oh, my God. He is stuck there alone in the middle of fucking nowhere (laughs) with a damn ghost. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Now, now we're, we're about to learn something about our narrator's, um fetishes did you just say we're about to learn about our narrator's fetishes i have always been a noticer of hands oh and candle wax (laughs) the key to character that other people seek in the eyes the mouth the modeling of the skull i find in the curve of the nails the cut of the fingertips the way the palm rosy or sallow smooth or seamed swells up from its base I remembered Mary Pask's hand vividly because it was so like a caricature of herself, round, puffy, pink, yet prematurely old and useless. Oh my god, rude. And there, unmistakably, it lay on my sleeve, but changed and shriveled. Somehow, like one of those pale, freckled toadstools that the least touch resolves to dust. Well, to dust? Of course. Oh, God. I looked at the soft, wrinkled fingers with their foolish little oval fingertips that used to be so innocently and naturally pink and now were blue under yellowing nails and my flesh rose in ridges of fear. Come in, come in, she fluted, cocking her white, untidy head on one side and rolling her bulging blue eyes at me. The horrible thing was that she still practiced the same arts, all the childish wiles of a clumsy, capering coquetry. (laughs) 
I felt her pull on my sleeve, and it drew me in her wake like a steel cable. The room she led me into was, well, unchanged is the term generally used in such cases, for as a rule, after people die, things are tidied up, furniture is sold, remembrances are dispatched to the family, but some morbid piety, or Grace's instructions perhaps, had kept this room looking exactly as I suppose it had in Miss Pask's lifetime. I wasn't in the mood for noting details, but in the faint dabble of moving candlelight, I was half aware of bedraggled cushions, odds and ends of copper pots, and a jar holding a faded branch of some late-flowering shrub. A real Mary Pask interior. Okay, so we now know Mary dead. Who is that other woman? (laughs) (laughs) Are there just, is this where the dead, like, spinsters hang out? Yeah, this is, this is, um, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it's a retirement home for people who are. Have retired. Well past retirement age. <laughs> and never got married. So, and that's their punishment yeah. is they all have to hang it's out. It's a retirement now. home for, with, with bunny fingers, retired spinsters. Retired spinsters. All right. I like this. I could write a musical about this. <laughs> it's like Spoon River Anthology meets uh, Best Little Horror House in Texas. <laughs> Holy shit, that's amazing. Right? I just um, went, this is a musical. <laughs> all right. Uh, Not this, but that yeah. idea. No, get get to work. I'll help you with the arrangements. Got it. And for our um, one-year anniversary episode, we can present... Um, uh, like a concept recording a concept. album. We'll just do it on TikTok. <laughs> That's what people do now. All right, stay tuned, everybody. The white figure flitted spectrally to the chimney piece, lit two more candles, and set down the third on a table. I hadn't supposed I was superstitious, but those three candles. <laughs> Hardly knowing what I did, I hurriedly bent and blew one out. Oh, three. Because three is an evil number. Her laugh sounded behind me. Three candles. You still mind that sort of thing? I've got beyond all that, you know, she (laughs) chuckled. Such a comfort. Such a sense of freedom. A fresh shiver joined the others already coursing over me. Come and sit down by me, she entreated, sinking to a sofa. It's such an age since I've seen a living being. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love this woman. I love this dead woman. (laughs) Her choice of terms was certainly strange. And as she leaned back on the white slippery sofa and beckoned me with one of those unburied hands, my impulse was to turn and run. But her old face hovering there in the candlelight with the unnaturally red cheeks like varnished apples and the blue eyes swimming in vague kindliness seemed to appeal to me against my cowardice, to remind me that dead or alive... Mary Pask would never harm a fly. Do sit down, she repeated, 
and I took the other corner of the sofa. Yeah, I mean, if, if this ghost, if it's Mary, if it's actually Mary Pask and not like a demon, like who's taking over her body, which maybe but like, cool. I'll sit down and have, like I said, I want a cottage by the sea where I get to invite like the ghosts and like, like can you imagine? An Airbnb where you can be like, yes, come stay at my Airbnb. You will have a lovely conversation with a ghost while you stay here. Come stay at my Airbnb. I've been dead for 15 years. It's cool. (laughs) And I just play dead the whole time. I'm like all in white and Victorian garb and shit. People are like, oh my God. (laughs) Come on over and have a great stay. Five stars. No good internet. (laughs) The reviews are like, the Wi-Fi sucks, man. (laughs) It's so wonderfully good of you, I suppose Grace asked you to come. She laughed again. Her conversation had always been punctuated by rambling laughter. It's an event, quite an event. I've had so few visitors since my death, you see. Oh, she knows. Okay. Another bucket full of cold water ran over me. But I looked at her resolutely, and again the innocence of her face disarmed me. I cleared my throat and spoke with a huge panting effort as if I had been (laughs) heaving up a gravestone. You live here alone, I brought out. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad to hear your voice. I still remember voices, though I hear so few, she murmured dreamily. Yes, I live here alone. The old woman you saw goes away at night. She won't stay after dark. She says she can't. Isn't it funny? But it doesn't matter. I like the darkness. She leaned to me with one of her irrelevant smiles. The dead, she said, naturally get used to it. Once more, I cleared my throat, but nothing followed. She continued to gaze at me with confidential blinks. And Grace, uh, tell me all about my darling. I wish I could have seen her again just once. Her laugh came out grotesquely. Apparently you can. She's got to come to the house. (laughs) When she got the news of my death, were you with her? Was she terribly upset? I stumbled to my feet with a meaningless stammer. I couldn't answer. I couldn't go on looking at her. Oh, I see. It's too painful, she acquiesced, her eyes brimming. Then she turned her shaking head away. But after all, I'm glad she was sorry. It's what I've been longing to be told and hardly hoped for. Grace forgets. She stood up, too, and flitted across the room, wavering nearer and nearer the door. Thank God, I thought. She's going. Do you know this place by daylight? She asked abruptly. I shook my head. It's very beautiful, but you wouldn't have seen me then. You'd have had to take your choice between me and the landscape. I hate the light. It makes my head ache, and so I sleep all day. I was just waking up when you came. She smiled at me with an increasing air of confidence. Do you know where I usually sleep? Down below there, in the garden. Her laugh shrilled out again. There's a shady corner down at the bottom where the sun never bothers one. Sometimes I sleep there till the stars come out. The phrase about the garden in the consul's cable 
came back to me, and I thought, after all, it's not such an unhappy state. I wonder if she isn't better off than when she was alive. <laughs> Perhaps she was, but I was sure I wasn't in her company. And her way of sidling nearer to the door made me distinctly want to reach it before she did. In a rush of cowardice, I strode ahead of her, but a second later she had the latch in her hand and was leaning against the panels, her long white raiment hanging about her like grave clothes. She drooped her head a little sideways and peered at me under her lashless lids. You're not going, she reproached me. Oh, my God. (laughs) I dived down in vain for my missing voice and silently signed that I was. Going? Going away? Altogether? Her eyes were still fixed on me, and I saw two tears gathering in their corners and run down over the red, glistening circles on her cheeks. Oh, but you mustn't, she said gently. I'm too lonely. Oh, no. I stammered something inarticulate, my eyes on the blue-nailed hand that grasped the latch. Suddenly, the window behind us crashed open, and a gust of wind surging in out of the blackness extinguished the candle on the nearest chimney corner. I glanced back nervously to see if the other candle were going out, too. You don't like the noise of the wind? I do. It's all I have to talk to. People don't like me much since I've been dead. Queer, isn't it? The peasants are so superstitious. At times, I'm really lonely. Her voice cracked in a last effort at laughter, and she swayed toward me, one hand still on the latch. Lonely, lonely, if you knew how lonely. It was a lie when I told you I wasn't, and now you come and your face looks friendly, and you say you're going to leave me. No, 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 you shan't. Or else why did you come? It's cruel. I used to think I knew what loneliness was after Grace married, you know. Grace thought she was always thinking of me, but she wasn't. She called me darling, but she was thinking of her husband and children. I said to myself then, you couldn't be lonelier if you were dead. But I know better now. There's been no loneliness like this last year's. None. And sometimes I sit here and think, if a man came along some day and took a fancy to you... <gasps> she gave another wavering cackle. Well, such things have happened, you know. Even after youth's gone, a man who'd had his troubles too, but no one came till tonight oh my god and now you say you're going suddenly she flung herself toward me oh stay with me stay with me just tonight it's so sweet and quiet here no one need know no one will ever come and trouble us There's some necrophilia weird shit about <laughs> i think i think i think technically this is reverse necrophilia Because she's going to sleep with him? Because she's dead and she has a fetish for sleeping with living people. Uh, Yes, I guess so. But if he does it, it's still necrophilia. (laughs) I I think this is this is creep. Like she's a she's um, unstable at the moment. (laughs) 
I feel like there's a lot of unstable going on. There's a lot of unstable in this, in this his house. Yeah. <clears throat> I ought to have shut the window when the first gust came. I might have known there would soon be another fiercer one. It came now slamming back the loose hinged lattice, filling the room with the noise of the sea and with wet swirls of fog and dashing the other candle to the floor. (gasps) The light went out and I stood there. We stood there, lost to each other in the roaring, coiling darkness. Oh my God. My heart seemed to stop beating. I had to fetch up my breath with great heaves that covered me with sweat. The door the door. Well, I knew I had been facing it when the candle went. Something white and wraith-like seemed to melt and crumple up before me in the night, and avoiding the spot where it had sunk away, I stumbled around it in a wide circle, got the latch in my hand, caught my foot in a scarf or sleeve, trailing loose and invisible, and freed myself with a jerk from this last obstacle. I had the door open now. As I got into the hall, I heard a whimper from the blackness behind me, but I scrambled on to the hall door, dragged it open, and bolted out into the night. I slammed the door on that pitiful low whimper, and the fog and wind enveloped me in healing arms. Uh. (laughs) When I was well enough to trust myself to think about it all again, I found that a very little thinking got my temperature up and my heart hammering in my throat. No use. I simply couldn't stand it, for I'd seen Grace Bridgeworth in crepe, weeping over the cable, and yet I'd sat and talked with her sister on the same sofa, her sister who'd been dead a year. The circle was a vicious one. I couldn't break through it. The fact that I was down with fever the next morning might have explained it, yet... I couldn't get away from the clinging reality of the vision. Supposing it was a ghost I had been talking to, and not mere projection of my fever. Supposing something survived of Mary Pask enough to cry out to me the unuttered loneliness of a lifetime, to express at last what a living woman had always had to keep dumb and hidden. The thought moved me curiously in my weakness. I lay and wept over it. No end of women were like that, I supposed, and perhaps after death, if they got their chance, they tried to use it. Old tales and legends... (laughs) Proper women don't throw themselves at men, but once they're dead... But once they're dead... It's like, give me a deep dickin'. um, What... (laughs) So what you're telling me is all women are reverse necrophiliacs. All women or all dead women? Or is it just the repressed ones? I think it's just the ones that she probably died a virgin because I'm thinking of the time. <laughs> like she wasn't in it because of her stature. She wasn't allowed to. Is it over? No, it's oh, not. Okay. <laughs> Deep dicking made him throw down <laughs> the iPad. Um, no, I think it's uh, if like it's it's that whole theory of you don't want to die a virgin. Like there's that, there is that thing. Like that is a common thing that people say because 
sex is like a very it's a very natural human yeah, experience. whether it's with a man or a woman same sex like whatever your 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 preference like you want to experience love and lust you want those like you want that so if this woman probably didn't have that happen because this was the 1800s early 1900s and women the like lower classes like you'd go to a bar and like hang out and like whatever but like when you were like aristocracy or like which these people clearly were um you you don't do that that's just like not what you do <laughs> so i just want to clarify yes your theory is that everyone who dies a virgin comes back as a ghost with the goal of getting some i hope so <laughs> i fucking hope so it's a gift to humanity. <laughs> Orgasms are a gift to humanity. I'm so glad my parents listened to this podcast. <laughs> I think a gift to humanity might be the title of this episode. <laughs> the thought moved me curiously. In my weakness, I lay and wept over it. No end of women were like that, I supposed, and perhaps after death, if they got their chance, they tried to use it. Old tales and legends floated through my mind, the bride of Corinth, the medieval vampire. But what names to attach to the plaintive image of Mary Pask? My weak mind wandered in and out among these visions and conjectures, and the longer I lived with them, the more convinced I became that something which had been Mary Pask had talked with me that night. I made up my mind when I was up again to drive back to the place in broad daylight this time to hunt out the grave in the garden that shady corner where the sun never bothers one and appease the poor ghost with a few flowers yeah she wants some flowers but they ain't floral she wants you to take hers <laughs> but the doctors decided otherwise and perhaps my weak will unknowingly abetted them at any rate I yielded to their insistence that I should be driven straight from my hotel to a train for Paris and thence transshipped like a piece of luggage to the Swiss sanatorium they had in view for me. Oh, shit. Of course, I meant to come back when I was patched up again. And meanwhile, more and more tenderly, but more intermittently, my thoughts went back from my snow mountain to that wailing autumn night above the Bay de Trepesse, and the revelation of the dead Mary Pask, who was so much more real to me than ever the living one had been. After all, why should I tell Grace Bridgeworth ever. I had had a glimpse of things that were really no business of hers. Oh. 
If the revelation had been vouchsafed to me, ought I not to bury it in those deepest depths where the inexplicable and unforgettable sleep together? And besides, what interest could there be to a woman like Grace in a tale she could neither understand nor believe in? She would just set me down as queer, and enough people had done that already. My first object, when I finally did get back to New York, was to convince everybody of my complete return to mental and physical soundness, and into this scheme of evidence, my experience with Mary Pask did not seem to fit. Yeah, I don't think that's a good story to tell if you're trying to convince everyone you're okay. Hey, I'm really sane. Also, let me tell you about this time a ghost came on to me. Let me tell you about when I showed up at a ghost's house in the middle of the night and she was like, give it to me, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Give it to me, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All things considered, I would hold my tongue. But after a while, the thought of the grave began to trouble me. I wondered if Grace had ever had a proper gravestone put on it. The queer, neglected look of the house gave me the idea that perhaps she had done nothing, had brushed the whole matter aside to be attended to when she next went abroad. That's a shitty sister. Grace forgets, I heard the poor ghost quaver. Grace forgets. No. Decidedly, there could be no harm in putting tactfully just that one question about the care of the grave. The more so as I was beginning to reproach myself for not having gone back to see with my own eyes how it was kept. Grace and Horace welcomed me with all their old friendliness, and I soon slipped into the habit of dropping in on them for a meal when I thought they were likely to be alone. Nevertheless, my opportunity didn't come at once. I had to wait for some weeks, and then one evening when Horace was dining out and I sat alone with Grace, my glance lit upon a photograph of her sister— an old faded photograph which seemed to meet my eyes reproachfully. Gross, gross. It's like those paintings that like follow you. <laughs> By the way, Grace, <laughs> I began with a jerk. I don't believe I ever told you. I went down to that little place of, of your sister's the day before I had that bad relapse. Oh, jeez. <laughs> At once, her face lit up emotionally. Oh, no, you never told me. How sweet of you to go. The ready tears overbrimmed her eyes. I'm so glad you did. She lowered her voice and added softly, And did you see her? The questions sent one of my old shudders over me. I looked with amazement at Mrs. Bridgeworth's plump face, smiling at me through a veil of painless tears. I do reproach myself more and more about darling Mary, she added tremulously, but tell me, tell me everything. There was a knot in my throat. I felt almost as uncomfortable as I had in Mary Pask's own presence, yet I had never before noticed anything uncanny about Grace Bridgeworth. What the fuck? 
I forced my voice up to my lips. Everything? Oh, I can't... <laughs> I tried to smile. But you did see her. <gasps> I managed to nod, still smiling. Her face grew suddenly haggard. Yes, haggard. And the change was so dreadful that you can't speak of it? <gasps> Tell me, was that it? I shook my head. After all, what had shocked me was that the change was so slight, that between being dead and alive, there seemed, after all, to be so little difference except that of a mysterious increase in reality. But Grace's eyes were still searching me insistently. You must tell me, she reiterated. I know I ought to have gone there long ago. Yes, perhaps you ought. <laughs> you think, bitch? It's your own sister. I hesitated. To see about the grave, at least. She sat silent, her eyes still on my face. Her tears had stopped, but her look of solicitude slowly grew into a snare of something like terror. Hesitatingly, almost reluctantly, she stretched out her hand and laid it on mine for an instant. Dear old friend, she began, unfortunately, I interrupted, I couldn't get back myself to see the grave because I was taken ill the next day. Yes, yes, of course, I know, she paused. Are you sure you went there at all? She asked abruptly. Sure. Good Lord, it was my turn to stare. Do you suspect me of not being quite right yet? I suggested with an uneasy laugh. No, no, of course not, but I don't understand. Understand what? I went into the house. I saw everything, in fact, but her grave... Her grave? Grace jumped up. <gasps> clasping her hands on her breast and darting away from me. At the other end of the room, she stood and gazed and then moved slowly back. Then, after all, I wonder. She held her eyes on me, half fearful, half reassured. Could it be simply that you never heard? Never heard? But it was in all the papers. Don't you ever read them? I meant to write. I thought I had written, but I said, at any rate, you'll see it in the papers. You know I'm always lazy about letters. See what in the papers? Why, that she didn't die. She isn't dead. There isn't any grave, my dear man. It was only a cataleptic trance. Oh, An my God. An extraordinary case, the doctors say, but didn't she tell you all about it? If you say you saw her, she burst into half-hysterical laughter. Surely she must have told you that she wasn't dead. No, oh, I said slowly. She didn't tell me that. See, she wasn't... <laughs> we talked about it together for a long time after that. Talked on till Horace came back from his men's dinner after midnight. 
Grace insisted on going in and out of the whole subject over and over again. As she kept repeating, it was certainly the only time that poor Mary had ever been in the papers. But though I sat and listened patiently, I couldn't get up any real interest in what she said. I felt I should never again be interested in Mary Pask or in anything concerning her. Uh-uh. Oh, fuck that. See, sh- that is a story that I am going to have to reread. Yeah. See, she never... So, remember when I went back and I was like, she never said that she died. She just said that she doesn't concern herself with that anymore. She had a near-death experience. So she's not superstitious anymore. So she sleeps all day because she's been sick. And, and the light the hurts light her hurts, eyes. Like migraines. Like, she wasn't dead. I thought she was going to say that. The old lady the old, who leaves at night The housekeeper a ghost. That, like, died. And they mistook the body because no one really knew them or something like that or whatever. But what? That was so good. That was so fucking good. That was no wonder so cool. she won the first Pulitzer for a woman. Fuck yes. Holy shit. That was a ride. That I one took been, me places. I wish we'd been videotaping that one because I kept being like. Dear listener, <laughs> um, across the, the sofa from me as we were recording this, Heather was doing many a delightful clutch of the pearls. <laughs> it was fabulous. Oh, my God. That was creeping me out. And I actually got like shivers a few times. I was like, what? I was like, oh, no. Holy shit. Yeah, that that right there. That's a good one. So it's a ghost story without a ghost. Yeah. That's, and it was terrifying. Thank you, Carrie and Naomi. Yeah. That, now I know why two people from two different groups, two different groups, two different like uh, genres of like, of love recommended that. That is creepy as hell. That feels like a, a, a really good six month anniversary story. I think so. I think so. Because there's a little bit of, like, there's ghost story, there's horror, there's, like, there was a lot of humor. Yeah. A ton of humor in it. And, like, in a way, like. It was a very self-aware narrator, which which was fun. Yeah. You know that bitch flew back to, no, he didn't fly. He took a boat back to France and, like, he had to. He specifically says right at the end. Well, he didn't write that on his deathbed. <laughs> that that he never again. I'm sorry. Going to- uh, I know how the mind works. And if he doesn't go see for himself that that person is not dead, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like. I, yeah, I mean, I feel like I would go back because I would I would feel a need to be like, so. I thought you were dead. Funny story. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were a ghost. Anyway. <laughs> Um, we're going to wrap this up because this is a long episode, but holy shit, that was fantastic. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that one. Let us know what you thought of this story. Let us know what other stories you'd be interested in hearing or what other types of stories you'd be interested in hearing. We love Um, titles. Also, Um, please let us know how you did on this week's True Crimes and a Lie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I'm assuming we have some first listeners probably on this one. So, uh, yeah, go to www.campfireclassicspodcast.com or we are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram and we are on 
of the TikTok. <laughs> but you can find us and our home, our hostess Podbean. You can buy us coffee. Um, we love coffee. You can become a patron if you really like us. Um, and yeah, it's been six months. This has been fun. It's been fun. This has been a highlight of my my quarantine for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully we're a highlight for yours. Uh, so thank you. Um, Wine Diamonds. Once Wine. again, listeners, thank you. Wine, dine, and story time. There we go. Got that one out right. <laughs> Until next time, uh, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm a horny ghost. Just kidding. I'm not a ghost.